Welcome to the Calm Surgery Podcast Edition, hosted by Christine Townsend. All right. Hello, everybody. Um, first one of the year. I'm so excited about this. Um, I have some amazing guests um, this month. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I am Christine Townsend, founder of PIO Toolkit. Um, I'm based out of Austin, Texas. Um, originally not from here, as you may have guessed. Um, I'm really excited because today we have three amazing women. It's, I think it's the first time we've had um, all female panelists on uh, comm surgery. So this is really exciting as well. Um, I was saying to them earlier that going through our bios collectively, we have something like over 120 years collective service um, experience in communications, um, crisis comms, anything that basically causes us lots of stress and to look like we're 120 years old. So um, without further ado, I'm going to introduce um, each of our panellists. I know Judy's been having a few connectivity issues, so you may not get to see her, but um, for those of you who uh, know Judy, you'll know that you can imagine her beautiful face um, and we'll hear her wonderful accent as well from Canada, um, although she's in Tennessee right now. Anyway, let's uh, get started. So First of all, I want to introduce Amy Maxwell. She's the Public Relations Manager with Hamilton County Office of Emergency Management in Tennessee, out of Chattanooga. Um, so she's got 24 years crisis comms. My goodness, where to start? She's um, been the main media liaison in uh, a number of large relief um, efforts, including tornadoes, shootings, bus crash, water mains breaks and um, that's just the tip of the iceberg and she's looking well on it I must say and um, she's a webmaster for seven websites manages 10 social media accounts and serves as on-call PIO 24-7 for eight fire departments and 17 EMS ambulance stations so uh, working hours is not a thing here we just keep going and um, so that's Amy um, thank you so much for joining us um, we then have Judy Powell for those of you who don't know Judy, um, Judy's a wonderful, wonderful person, great friend of mine. I've worked with her a lot. She's got 40 years experience, uh, primarily in law enforcement comms, but she was the um, assistant commissioner with the NYPD, um, director of operations for FBI leader, chief of staff with Baltimore and Milwaukee police departments. Take a breath because we have to keep going. Um, there's so much to get through. Uh, she's conducted so much media training and many of you probably have been um, trained by GD. Um, I've done some training with her. Um, she's just basically everywhere and, and has influenced a lot of work from PIOs. And, and she's also authored the um, most recent COPS Office Guide to Strategic Communications for Law Enforcement Executives. And I worked with that on um, work with Judy on that myself. Um, she's just an all-round um, great PIO person who you must get to know. And if you've ever been on any of her sessions, you'll, you'll see why. Um, and last but by no means least, um, Victoria Hall. Um, she's the she's a policy advisor and comm strategist. Um, I met Victoria randomly. Um, she's also based in Austin, Texas. Um, you may find that she sounds a bit like me, but not too much. I'll be careful how I say that. She's originally from from Wales, um, United Kingdom, very different from England. Um, but she's been in um, Austin now for getting on for eighteen. Sorry, my apologies for getting a long time, actually, I will say. Um, and she's got over 18 years experience in comms. Um, she's currently working um, with the Austin City Council, um, sorry, supporting an Austin City Council member. And um, as 
also recently worked as the director of marketing and comms for Austin PBS, which has sounded like a great job. Um, she worked with Austin Energy, um, providing marketing um, consultancy work for their sustainability focused programs. And I know that's a passion of hers as well. Um, and the best thing I think that she's, she lays claim to is that she reversed a six year declining enrollment trend at 30 inner city schools during four years leading the Austin ISD first ever marketing comms team. So she also, um, and this is where I'm so excited to have her on talking about her work, um, public information support of the Welsh government, um, the well Wellbeing of Future Generations Act, which we may touch upon. Um, so this is one of the first pieces of sustainable development legislation in the world, no less. And Wales actually are very um, progressive in a lot of their environmental stuff. Um, and Victoria is actually really, um, really into behaviour change, um, as am I. So I'm really excited to have her on here because I think it's something that um, everyone should really get into um, and see how it can help them as, as PRs. So I'm going to actually stick with Victoria and thank again. Take a breath now. How, I, the illustrious company is almost too much. Um, Victoria, so public behaviour or influencing public behaviour is something that um, comms people should definitely be sort of incorporating into their work. It's not just about putting out uh, press releases and hoping for the best. So can you talk us through some tactics that PIOs can use to influence public behaviour and maybe look at what those outcomes might be, say, Tell us why behaviour change, why is it important and, and you know, why is the role of PIO important in that? Well, uh, thank you, Christine, for that wonderful introduction. You can breathe now. Uh, <laughs> so I think we often as government communicators, we are selling, I hate to say selling, but we are marketing a programme or a, a set of behaviours that we want people to follow. Uh, so some of the projects I've worked on have been, uh, you know, getting people to participate in plastic bag charge, uh, changes, you know, when cities have brought that in, uh, making a flood plan if they need to make a flood plan, because uh, you have to have been flooded out three times, according to the evidence, before you make a flood plan. Uh, we found that. So one of the things that is really, really important is your segmentation. So uh, looking at it from a, from a marketing perspective, you're not looking at it from a sales perspective, but you're looking from a marketing perspective and thinking about who is my audience because the number of times I'm sure everyone on this call is going to relate to this the number of times where I've had a program manager say my audience is the general public uh yeah we all we have all get that same visceral reaction like oh, it's not an audience um so you know use that as your starting point and what we want to understand is people's values their attitudes and their beliefs they we want to know what their self-perception is are they a person that cares about the environment? Are they a person that cares about public health? Um, and then kind of look at how you can influence those intrinsic values that people have um, through the, you know, what's in it for me kind of lens uh, to say, right, this is how it works for a family. You know, this is what the, the impact on a family would be. And then you frame your messaging and you frame your narrative around what's important to a family. If you're talking about a dual income, no kids couple living in a downtown uh, environment of a large city, your framing and your narrative is gonna be completely different. And I think we do need to be as prescriptive as that to make sure our message lands uh, because those, uh, those outcomes are not gonna look the same. 
So where you may be able to go down, I'm just going to use environmental because that's one of the you know ones that I've worked on the most. You know, if you're trying to say you should do this because you are a good person, that's only going to land with a certain number of people. If you do a different campaign that says you should do this because it's going to save you money or it's going to save you time, you just need to really understand that audience and understand what matters to them and how what you would like them to do can be achieved within what they were already doing, what they were already planning to do, or how that impacts their own self-perception of like, I am an environmentally responsible person. Uh, you know, so they they then have that kind of social currency with others. It's like they're the first person to adopt um, composting, for example, you know, in the neighborhood. Uh, they then become uh, a, a leader in their community. And that's important to some people. Uh, and you just got to tap into that. Um, that kind of intrinsic value stuff. And would you say that, because I know a lot of people, when I've spoken to them about behavior change in comms, they do find it a little bit overwhelming, but actually when we think about it, it's probably quite a straightforward process of just understanding what motivates people. And I know that um, both you and I have had experience working with the behavior insights team um, in the UK government uh, comms. Um, but I just wonder if you can kind of perhaps uh, relate this and this will, I'm hoping thread into how um, I asked Judy a question around um, sort of giving you credibility as a communicator um, that is more in, more valuable to sort of leaders. You can actually evidence behaviour change. Is it is it easy to evidence behaviour change when you take this approach? It, it's easier, I would say. Uh, I but I would say that managing expectations is a really big thing especially when it comes to like large scale so obviously one of the programs I worked on in the UK was that plastic bag charge in Wales so we were charging people 25p for a bag every time they go and we were encouraging them to bring their own bag and actually after the first year we found that it was 70% reduction in single-use plastic bags so it had worked but you will need a year. So we as comms people often are used to kind of reporting monthly metrics or even quarterly metrics. And a lot of the time with behavior change, you really do need a year, at least, usually three to five actually. Uh, but that evidence is available and it's available through, you know, you, you can actually see people doing things differently. Um, and that's really impactful. And that's where case studies come in really, really handy to be able to sell that to leadership because we can we can see like this person was doing this a year ago and now they're doing this and you know that's a positive trajectory for them for city government for whatever agency you're representing or for the planet as the case may be um so yes it is absolutely possible but it is very narrative it's very qualitative rather than quantitative sometimes uh, unless you do have one specific measure like the plastic bag thing would you be happy to for people to get in touch with you um by linkedin just to share because you obviously care about i'm very passionate about it because i've seen it make a, a massive change and mm -hmm. um, the bottom line frankly uh, when you can see financial improvements as well that is something that leadership would love to see especially if they're left-brained and when you're in emergency management for example i do find that more left-brained people like evidence-based um you know comes results mm -hmm. so therefore that you know by doing this kind of work and adopting a scientific approach to comms we can be more relevant be more um yeah, necessary and sort of dispel that myth of comms being fluffy um, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. the flood plan example would be really good for that one so yes. we found that you know the first floods that people experienced was terribly bad luck and a fluke 
The second one was, oh, well, you know, these things happen and I was just really unlucky this time. And then after the third time, you know, it was, okay, maybe we've got to do this. But a lot of the time you have to address those fears that people are uh, feeling and why they're not doing it, those barriers that they're putting up. And it's because they're worried about their insurance. They're worried about the resale on their property. They're worried about, uh, you know, what that means for their community. So those are the things you've got to address through comms then is, you know, people like you are doing this, um, you know, so that nudge theory uh, comes into it a lot. Oh, I love a bit of nudge theory. I could talk about it forever, but I'm not here to be talking. I, I want to move on to thank you so much, Victoria. And, and, and hopefully that's kind of got people thinking. There's loads of info out there. I've done a few pieces with references and resources, but I can share those in a bit. But um, I, I'd love to move to Judy because we've touched upon like that, um, how it can be useful to sort of influence leadership and show that what you do is actually really amazing and transformative. We'd like to hope. Um, Judy, I know that you have experienced a lot of challenges around, um, I suppose, being taken seriously, um, not you personally, but we all have of like, you know, leadership not really valuing what comms people do when in actual fact you should be an absolutely vital part um, of the whole organisation. So um, what would you say, I mean, I know you're very passionate about this, being a valued member of the C-suite. And, and let's face it, we've all had to battle to get there. Um, really, it's really tough to be taken um, you know, seriously. So um, what can PIOs to, to do to become more valued and, and really valued, not just like, oh yeah, you helped me get a promotion, like really respected and regarded for their, their opinion and experience. Yeah, and, and I hope I'm coming through. I have like zero connectivity. So I'm hoping y'all are hearing me. Um, it, it's it's so important, and Christine, you're right. It is absolutely my passion. Um, I've actually moved from doing a lot of PIO training to training our bosses because you might be the smartest communications advisor in the world, but if your boss doesn't understand your value to that person, you're you're just never going to be in that position. So, how do you earn that trust? How do you earn that value? The first word is trust. You have to find a way to gain trust from your chief executives. Three quick ways you can do that. First thing, when you have a new executive, when you have a new boss, sit with them and ask them three questions. How do you best receive information? Second, how do you best process information? And how do you best convey information? You need to ask your boss that because you need to be a chameleon to change your communications the way you communicate so it matches the bosses. You can't expect your boss to understand. Um, in, you know, I've had very, I've had a whole bunch of bosses. I've worked for seven different police departments um, and every one of those bosses communicated differently. And also if you are the person writing talking points or interview points for them, you know, is this the boss that needs a whole written script? Is it a boss that you can say two words in their ear and they're good? Is it a boss that, that you do talking points? You have to know that. So that's the first thing. The second one might be the most important and that's loyalty and confidentiality. Your boss has to develop that trust with you that whatever is said behind closed doors will stay behind closed doors. Oftentimes uh, you will provide counsel 
your boss will say, no, not going to do that. But you have to walk out of that room in full support. You can't be going home and telling folks or telling your best friend, I can't, you know, I told the boss to do this and they're not letting us do this. Horrible. The third thing you can do to become that valued is looking around the corner, being prescient, being able to, and, and I, I had the good opportunity to work with Bill Bratton a couple of times. And Bill said, your, your number one value to me is you being able to tell me what's around the corner. And how do you do that? It's continuing education. It's having your head on a swivel. What is happening in the world? What is happening in my backyard? What is happening with influencers? And being able to explain, hey boss, if you change this policy, if you promote this person, if, if we adopt this project, this is what it's going to result in. This is the perceptions that are going to be changed or influenced. This is the, the blowback we're gonna have for the media. This is what's gonna happen internally with culture. And we are the only ones sitting at that table. And you have to tell the boss this, I'm gonna be the only person sitting at the table that is going to tell you about this. And I think that is where our value comes in. We're, we're like the general practitioner and then you have a bunch of specialists sitting around the table. So your guy in charge of operations, your, your legal counsel, your um, finance people are all like this, focused on their specific projects. You as a communications counsel have to look at the whole patient. And that is a huge value to your chief executive. So those are just three ways to, to try to help build that and constantly fight. I mean, everyone hears me say, you got to fight like this third rhino trying to get on Noah's Ark. You need to be in the C-suite because your job is to be more of a fire prevention officer than a firefighter. Firefighting is fun, but fire prevention officer is truly what a communications council needs to do. Thank you, Julia. So, so valuable because I feel like a lot of people who are in PIA, especially when they're starting out on mid-career, mid still don't have that confidence or feel like they should be pushing themselves forward. And it, I've learned that the hard way. And um, I think one, that, that confidence is something that comes with age experience um, and also perhaps having yeah. some, some good experiences combined with bad experiences. Um, would you say that one, so, I know my answer to this, but speaking truth to power as well, I think I've said no to people more than I've said yes. And I learned that the hard way because it only comes back to bite you. I mean, how do you have those difficult conversations when you fundamentally disagree with what your boss is telling you? It's going to be different for every boss. Um, you know, like I say, I've experienced many, many bosses and I will approach them in different ways. One of the best things you can do when uh, someone is disagreeing with you is provide new information because they're going to say no or we're not going to do that or we're not going to we're not going to participate in this new social media platform and you need to give them new information to help them change their mind so it doesn't affect their ego um, I've worked for a lot of bosses that are in very high positions and all of those people have egos. And I think we all have to understand that that is kind of part of what we do is we're supporting that boss. And if I can find a way to provide a kernel of new information and I say, oh, okay, I understand that you don't want to start a telegram account. <laughs> Nobody will want to start a telegram account. But did you know that 
Telegram reaches this audience, blah, 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 blah. And it gives them the out. Oh, I didn't know that. And then sometimes you can get them to change your mind because we have to remember the ego is a very delicate thing. And that's, and that's one thing is, you know, before you go in with a decision or, or, or a suggestion, who's your audience? Is it a supportive audience? Is it a questioning audience? Is it a hostile audience? You need to know that. And that's going to help you uh, hopefully maybe change some of the minds, but sometimes you just got to suck it up and, 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 you know, make lemonade out of lemons because you do need to be that person who, you know, tells the boss their baby's ugly and it's not a comfortable position. And for those of you on this webinar who are a professional staff, it makes it easier for us as opposed to people that are sworn in law enforcement or even firefighting. And I will tell you this, and I know this is going to sound interesting to some, but there's four women on here. It's easier for women to tell men truth to power um, than it is men to men. It's, it's just, there's some psychology behind it. I don't know what it is, but it was a lot easier for me to tell bosses that their baby was ugly than my male colleagues is sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Wise words indeed. I'm seeing lots of sage nodding and I, I will say uh, it's for me, and I'm only speaking from my own personal uh, experience I, I prefer to be respected rather than liked um but as I say as I got older and uglier that they didn't matter so much but um so thank you Judy and I'm going to to old uh to all of you on a, on a question that we've been asked but I want to move to Amy because Amy's got um a whole load of experience and I am sure has dealt with all these kinds of people personalities while all this all the crazies going on as well so you've kind of got to balance so many personalities and and, and I'm interested in sort of you know you you must have come up against so many challenges in your career particularly doing what you do with such a broad remit of responsibility and you're on call 24 7 which as an aside is not allowed in the UK we actually have a rotor so you do get some sleep um otherwise you end up stabbing people uh, well maybe um but Amy um you tell us some of the challenges you've had and maybe what you did in the face of these challenges around you know you, the, all these disasters I'm not sure I want to visit Tennessee again but um what challenges have you faced and how have you overcome them well thank you again for having me I have enjoyed listening um, a lot of great advice but I'll, I'll say this with everything that we have had here in Chattanooga we've had every kind of disaster including terrorism Unfortunately, uh, we've added terrorism to our list of disastrous uh, emergency situations in uh, 2015. And, um, but the one that really had sticks out the most was during that uh, 2016, when we had what was called the Woodmore bus crash. Uh, there's a lot of people that probably aren't aware of it, but then there's a lot that, that were, this was a nationwide story um, back in uh, right before Thanksgiving, we had a, a gentleman that uh, bus driver that was bringing kids home at the end of the day and lost control of his bus. And it flipped on its side and slammed into a large tree. And at the time, there was nine children that died at the scene. But at the time when this happened, um, it was unbelievable how quickly the news had spread nationally within 30 minutes. My cell phone rang from um, the LA Times, Los Angeles Times, wanting me to confirm 24 children were dead and um, had no idea where they got that number. But uh, it was obviously, I knew then that we were in a really, really tough situation, mainly because 
of the numbers were not accurate at the time of those first responders that had been on the scene. And then how do I recover from that? Actually, I hadn't reported on any deaths. We had just reported that the fact that we had a bus crash that can that we're carrying children on the bus. And, uh, and at that time, our top priority was to make sure that the scene was safe and that we were able to preserve the accident scene for investigations. Um, during this time, we had to activate our emergency operations center, mainly because anytime that it involves more than maybe three agencies and it involves a lot of the community efforts, uh, we'll, we'll be needing additional resources. And that's where our emergency operations center comes in to provide those resources to those people on the scene uh, so that we can get immediately immediate help and that included um, additional ambulances, additional security with uh, additional agencies for the police services. There's just a, a lot. I mean, and I can go on and on, but that just gives you a, a nutshell. But um, the problem was, is at that time, uh, this was in the city limits of, of Chattanooga. So we have a city municipality and we have a county municipality. So at the time we had a city municipality that was uh, in charge of the scene, which was our Chattanooga Police Department. And they were trying to um, control the scene of children's parents coming to the scene, all these cars driving up on the scene, hysterical parents, which I, I totally would, would understand. Um, and as a result, uh, we were trying to secure the bus driver because we were afraid that, you know, that he, his safety would be um, in jeopardy. Then later on, after um, we were we were able to confirm with the director of EMS how many children were actually deceased on the scene, then we were able to immediately um, get that information out. So from the emergency operations center, we started um, backtracking. I guess is the best way to do it, and um, say that this is the, the accurate information that needs to come from our office. So we were encouraging not only the, the general public, but also these local and national media outlets to make sure that people were understanding that those numbers that they were reporting were wrong, that we actually had people on the scene to confirm that. Uh, we had to be very careful too, because um, these children's names had not been released. You know, we didn't want to release it. We were trying to secure the families um, as far as getting that information done. Unfortunately, um, I don't want to mention names, but this agency wanted to have a press conference there at the scene, which was, was not a good idea. It was not my decision to make. Um, we also have a city and a county mayor. So the city mayor wanted to have a press conference there on the scene of this um, uncontrollable environment to hold a press conference, which uh, was, was challenging. But however, I was in the Emergency Operations Center. So my fellow colleague PIOs had significant challenges trying to uh, control the environment, control the press conference, what have you. Um, so to make a long story short, what we have learned from this experience, and I would like for other PIOs to understand this too, that if you ever get in kind of a situation where you have a large disastrous situation that involves 
not only a lot of people, but a lot of agencies that I highly recommend that you hold your first press conference in a controlled environment to where you actually will be able to have a press conference that is in a controlled environment that you can handle when those press conferences are going to happen and when you're able to control and stop the press conferences as quickly as possible. Um, the, the additional information needs to be as quickly as possible so that in the event that something like this does happen, that you're able to get the word out as quickly as possible, that you are going to hold a press conference, that there's not, no need to be on a scene and that'll alleviate the media trying to be out there on the scene and come to where you are to obtain that information. Nowadays here in Chattanooga, media outlets are, are very, very slim as far as personnel per outlet now. So we do a lot of Zoom calls. Um, and if we have an incident that's occurred, we may or may not have a camera guy that's out there. They're waiting on me to, to do a, a Zoom call pertaining to the incident. So, you know, make sure that you're able to get that um, scene under control. Make sure that you've got that message out as quickly as possible and make sure that they know too that they need to get the ac accurate information coming from your agency and no one else. And, and that'll help too, but the top priority was trying to gain the public's uh, attention to, to have them trust that the information that I am giving them that is accurate information so that we don't have 24 children that have actually have deceased on the scene that we only, even though we have nine, nine is way too many, but nine is not 24. And, um, you know, continuing to update on the crash site, what these agencies are doing. And also it was so important to, to get help when it's talking about uh, post-traumatic stress to those first responders as well, because uh, those EMS responders and our firefighters and, and police officers really suffered for a long time having to deal with trying to cope with um, taking care of those children that had uh, unfortunately died on the scene. But, um, you know, I think that that's one of the many things it is challenging. And the bad thing about it is every single disaster is always different. And you just don't know until, you know, you have those lessons learned. And, and you know, this is a great experience that we can actually communicate with others, that it is so important that you get that message out as soon as possible, no matter what kind of incident it is, getting out that message, even if it just is something broad. It allows the media to know that you are aware of the situation and that you are working very quickly to provide them that information. And it could be just, we have had a, a bus accident and then we will be holding a press conference in an hour at the Emergency Operations Center to give you more information. So please stay tuned to the accurate information that we will be providing. And that'll kind of help with, with those kind of situations because it is, it, it's, I could go on and on with all the, the times and that I've had to struggle with trying to gain rumor control. It, it is so hard, especially now. You know, social media came on after I had already started this job. So uh, it was a lot easier before social media. Now it's a, it, it is a, um, a challenge. But, um, you know, we do have a lot of uh, technologies now that do help 
with monitoring that. So it it is you got to take the good with the bad. And I think all of us actually have been here pre-social and post-social and seen that transition and the challenges that have come from it. But what strikes me um, and, and really um, always surprises me, and I probably shouldn't, I've been here long enough now to know just how many agencies are involved in something, in an incident, um, you know, the, the not just, um, you know, public safety, but also government, utilities. And you sort of think, well, you know, the, the challenge of actually having to really herd all of those egotistical cats is like you just have to have nerves of steel and confidence and patience and and all the things you never get trained in on a training course um personal attributes that I, I guess you'd sort of develop over time and I'm so glad that you touched upon the the support for PTSD afterwards because that's something that sworn and civilian uh, people not just again in public safety but in sort of other supporting agencies really do um have exposure to and i for one speak openly about it and and you know people can't do this job without being affected emotionally by by some of the things and even if it is what people don't think is a disaster or an emergency or loss of life there's still that toll around politics and and you know the dealing with people is actually oftentimes more stressful than dealing with uh, cut and dried, you know, disaster. Uh, sometimes it's more insidious. But thank you, Amy, for sharing that. And there's, I'm sure we could probably do a whole uh, webinar just unpacking that that incident and everything that's come from it. But you you mentioned a key thing, and that is lessons learned. Um, so you know we we all learn we all no matter how much experience we've got we can all learn lessons along the way so and I'm sure um, you'd be welcome to people getting in touch to sort of ask for your advice and on LinkedIn and I'm going to ask everyone to put LinkedIn details at the end of this but um, what, one thing that um, we've had a question actually I'll stay with you but then I will kind of go to um, I can't believe the time's nearly out already but I want to go to Judy and Victoria on this as well but John's asking about um, you know how do you validate preparedness campaigns so you've all got you've all had experience in preparedness campaigns i know um at, on different um aspects but you know what how can you validate that what you've done has worked um so amy say for example i'm, I'm sure you do a lot of preparedness stuff um yeah. how do you how can you prove that it's worked like we always used to say in policing you you can't you know um you can't evidence crime prevention or we used to say that you can but it's really tough so amy how and if you can keep it as short as you can on this huge topic how right, do you right you know yeah, emergency preparedness is, is a very broad topic one that we have seen that really has uh helped with our community is emergency management our office has especially me i've, I've got a really big passion on Programming weather radios, here in the last several years, we have been stricken by several tornadoes and we have suffered with a lot of deaths. And we, in the last couple of years, have worked together with um, Academy Sports and Lowe's and working with them with uh, scheduling events to help with the community to have them come out. They purchase a weather radio and we program them for them wherever they live. They even buy them for Christmas gifts. They buy them for family members that don't even live in town and they mail them. Uh, but we have seen an unbelievable amount of response on people coming out and getting a weather radio. 
We also use billboards, uh, LED billboards when we're talking about any kind of emergency preparedness, it, it, you name it. It, it just it changes once a month, anywhere from you know changing your batteries in your smoke detectors to um, turning your clocks back. I mean, it's just a, it's just a continuous thing that we do with our communities, just just putting a bug in their ear while they're at a red light, just to remind them of the things that they need need to do. But really, the one thing that stands out that I've seen a big difference in our community is the fact that uh, weather weather radios. A lot of people don't have them. A lot of people feel like their phones are enough, but this last tornado that we had in 2020 really ripped out a lot of the um, mobile towers. So they did not receive those notifications. And as a result, they were not prepared and their homes got ripped apart. And we did lose a lot of lives in Chattanooga. And so we need everybody to realize that a weather radio is your number one source of emergency notification. So those things have changed, but we have noticed this. People don't take emergency preparedness as seriously until it's either happened to them or they've had a family or friend that it's happened to them. They have the mentality that it's not going to happen to me. And we're trying to, here in Chattanooga, in Helms County, trying to let everybody know it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when it's going to happen. So we want everybody to, you know, take a few minutes, you know, get prepared ahead of time. You know, we're all the time talking about on social media. Right now, we have four to six inches of rain coming into the Chattanooga area. We just got over the snow last week that put schools out for a whole week, and now we're into rain. So I go from one thing to another, and it's just, it's kind of like being a mom. You're reminding your kids to remember, you need to do this. You need to brush your teeth. Well, it's raining and we have flash flooding. Please don't drive through flooded streets. It, I mean, and we still have people doing that. So it, it's just, yes, yes. But you know, it's, if I've helped or come across and reached 10 people, that's 10 more people that I didn't reach out to. And and the thing is, this touches upon the point that Victoria made around behavior change and that, you know, have to be flooded three times. And as someone who's actually shifted sandbags to uh, deal with flooding in England, I, I was cursing uh, the lack of behavior change, that's for sure. But um, I, I want to kind of pop to Judy, because I know that you have worked on so many projects where um, you have to evidence success um, or not necessarily success, actually, um, change. Um, I would say, because not everything is successful. How do you evidence that? What's your, like, how do you benchmark it? What's, how, what's the process for that, Judy? I, I think the, the biggest thing that we have to keep in mind when we're trying to, to do that metric evaluation is to really, um, unfortunately, so many of us are very tactical and we will look at outputs. You know, oh, we put out a news release and we did so many tweets and so many people followed us and so many people like this. That means absolutely zero to your bosses. So you have to kind of change your paradigm from looking at outputs to outcomes. You know, are people safer? Are we solving more crimes? Do more people, you know, less people dying in flooding situations because they know not to drive through the puddles. That's what's really going to let your bosses know that your efforts and, and, and of course, our efforts as communicators are really simply just communicating the efforts that your agency is making. So it's not really our efforts. We're just the amplifier of our agency's efforts. And I also think that's something that we have to remind uh, our bosses as well 
is they might be looking to us for results and metrics. But if we're simply putting lipstick on a pig or, or you know doing some smoke and mirrors to to try to you know get get those you know those crazy metrics up that we think are important. Oh yeah, I got you know sixty thousand followers. It means nothing unless you're actually initiating that positive change that you want. And you know when it comes to firefighters, are less people dying in fires? You know, and those kind of things is is what's important. I think the hardest thing to evaluate is culture change. And I think all of us as communicators need to be uber focused on internal culture change and not only gaining respect for what we do, but just being able to understand the changing roles within an agency and, and you know how everything is changing with employees. And that's really difficult, but there's something, you know, we can go back to the simple stuff. Are you doing annual surveys or, or semi-annual surveys? Is, is the media reflecting the image that you actually want to put out? Or are they continuing to do hit pieces on you? Those kind of things are metrics. Uh, for law enforcement, clearance rates. And you go, why clearance rates? Well, guess what? Clearance rates for homicides and, and serious crimes, especially, we solve serious crimes because people talk to police. And that means that I'm doing a good job humanizing my officers, that people are more interested in speaking with them. So if my clearance rates are going up, that means my community relations are better. It has nothing to do with 45,000 people liking you on social media. So make that paradigm shift from outputs. Outputs are nice, but they don't mean anything. Let's look at outcomes. And that's really where your focus should be on your overall communications plan. Give me some, give me some outputs, but give me some solid outcomes and that's going to raise your level of importance in your agency as well. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think um, one, one thing to add to that, maybe two actually, just because I've been through this so much, is if you can equate what you've done um, with hard evidence to something that is important to the person you're selling into, like, for example, I was able somehow to prove that if I got another person on my team and we were able to um, increase our sort of comms engagement, that would be the equivalent of saving X amount of money, which is the equivalent of two police officers in community engagement, dot, dot, dot. You, you, that, that really, really helps. And I've had people say, you know, you want someone else prove it. I'm like, okay, well, this is why you're paying overtime for me. If I got one more person, that'd be half that amount anyway. That's my thing. It's like prove what, prove your worth, prove your value, prove, you know, with numbers and stats and figures, not just, oh, he said, she said. So thank you, Judy. I mean, again, this is a whole evidence and, and vanity metrics is a whole other subject. Again, we could do a whole webinar on. And, and I know, Victoria, you must have just seen all of this. Like you've had to prove your worth in everything you've done since you sort of got into this work. And I think for you, it's probably a tougher road in a way because it's such a long process in government comms at a national level to to prove things are working like how how absolutely <laughs> uh, this is where I, I try and tell people especially leadership you know that the qualitative outcomes are, are as valuable as quantitative outcomes sometimes especially when you know as Judy said it comes to culture change and it comes to how people respond differently the second time than they did the first time which shows real growth and progress 
in, you know, oh, well, we learned that lesson actually last time. So we're going to do it this way next time. Uh, and that in itself is a really valuable measure. Because um, sometimes we can't put uh, lives affected um, down as a measure, right? We, that's not it's not something that we can necessarily quantify. But a lot of the time, people's feeling of safety is a really valuable outcome. It's not an output, but it's an outcome. Uh, you know, people feeling like, okay, I'm prepared for this. If I'm, you know, we've just had some weather here, as I said, you know, Christine, we've just had some really very, very cold weather here in Texas, which people are still not used to because it's not happened uh, up to now. The last four years, we've had some really seriously cold temperatures and people are not prepared for how that's going to affect them, whether that's going to be in terms of power, water, you know, weatherizing their homes and their vehicles and their behavior. So, you know, we're seeing very, very small incremental shift of like people thinking, okay, actually I needed water last time. So before the, the cold happens, I'm going to make sure I've got a couple of extra gallons stashed, you know, somewhere in the house. So uh, I think, you know, we can get really hung up on, on quantitative stuff, but there is a lot of merit and value in understanding how people feel. Um, Agree more, uh, empathy is everything um, in comms and Judy's waving her hand. Just to add one little thing is that sometimes, and this is not a me line, this is an Ed Flynn thing. Sometimes success is measured by what doesn't happen. And that is probably one of the toughest jobs for a communicator. And we ran a whole campaign in Milwaukee when our crime numbers went down from one year to the next about sometimes success is measured by what doesn't happen. The media didn't really want to report on crime levels going down. So we created an entire PSA campaign. You know, we had this many crimes last year. We had this many crimes. This means this kid didn't get shot. This kid didn't get run over by a car. This woman wasn't robbed. And that was such an effective campaign. So just keep in mind, sometimes success is, you know, what doesn't happen. Oh, you made such a good point, Judy. I mean, I signed the official secrets act, so I can't tell any stories about all the things that we couldn't talk about. But uh, particularly when it comes to counterterrorism, um, the public don't realize how safe they are uh, because, you know, what we do uh, is not tell them or not tell I should be careful how I say this, but you know what I mean. So um, thank you, Judy and Victoria. I've, we've got just 10 minutes left. So I want to make sure that um, I answer Mark's question. I think Amy is probably the best one uh, to answer this simply because of being all things social and how many accounts she's got to look after. Um, Mark Vanderkamp wants to know, um, this is a social media question, um, which uh, master content calendar tool that you use? You've got multiple social media accounts. So what, what do you do to um, plan ahead for content? Um, how do you how do you plan and look after all these social media accounts? No, that's a really good question because each of those agencies are totally different. Um, I have, I know, and it's it's kind of hard to explain because some of them are nonprofit, some, but they're they're related to like one of them is an EMS Directors Association. Uh, another one happens to be Tri-State Mutual Aid, which is a um a, um, a large agency of volunteer fire departments and career fire departments. And then I've got the Tennessee Fire Chiefs Association, which is, is a governing of all Tennessee fire chiefs in the state of Tennessee. So what, it's a really difficult question to ask. What I do is when I'm going to be establishing a social media 
um, uh, account, I usually go to those who pretty much run that agency and say, what are you wanting me to do for you? What is it that you're expecting um, me to help you with as far as promoting the agency? Are you wanting to make sure that we add a lot of classes? Are we wanting to, you know, uh, set up, um, you know, special events? Are you wanting to raise money? It, it's really hard to, to do that. But I think the best thing to do is if you're going to be um, running a social media account for a specific agency is I would be meeting with them to see what exactly they are wanting you to do what are their goals what are what are they wanting to accomplish because each one is different so i just make sure that i have i have a book for all of them and i just uh, refer back to those specific social media outlets to make sure that i'm going in the right direction that they're wanting me to do but you have to in in communications you know it just you just have to kind of give them that advice let me let me tell you what i think and then kind of say, what well, what do you feel like? You know, so kind of include them in the conversation and the decision-making, but you can kind of also recommend. I do that a lot with my director. He'll give me what he suggests and I'll say, okay, can I offer some suggestions too? So it looks like it's not, I'm saying no, you know, or I, don't, I think that's dumb. I just kind of recommend. And so you take maybe your ideas and their ideas and you put them together and meet in the middle and somehow it works. So it just really depends on, on the type of agency. And so I, you know, I just would just start at the beginning and see where they want you to make their agency, you know, fulfill and explain, you know, reach out and, you know, it, it just really depends. Thank you. And, and in terms of actual um, tools that you use on a daily basis, I know um, some people use Sprout Social, Social News Desk. I know that I've used Hootsuite. I even built my own one. Some people just use a, an Excel spreadsheet to get everything out there. What what would you what do you use to manage them? Or do you go direct to the platforms? Yeah, I usually do that, mainly because it's the easiest way to communicate with people. You start adding too much technical, different software and stuff. There's a lot of people. This is an example. The Tennessee Fire Chiefs, a lot of the audience is still, um, how do I put this, older generation. So they don't know about those different kind of software program stuff. And it's just easier to try and accommodate that audience that you're you know, having to work with. It's the same with websites too. It might be a little bit too easy for the, the younger generation, but with the older generation, they think it's perfect. So you just have to really focus on what kind of agency it is and uh, and work from there. Some of them might be a little bit more high tech and that's when you can use a little bit different software depending on, but if you ask somebody like, hey, could you you know um, create a uh, invitation on Canva and try to promote it? A lot of people aren't gonna be able to open it because they don't know anything about Canva and you've got to transfer it a lot into a different kind of software. So it just, just really depends on the on the agency that you're trying to support. I wouldn't want your job, Amy. I've been there and done that. And honestly, <laughs> we have to deal with different- Five years of... left, five years left. Um, thank you very much. Now I'm mindful that we've got just five minutes left and um, I've asked um, our panelists to have one thing that's like a key 
takeaway and I also I'm going to take this moment before we do that just to, to share some information and resources you'll see in our resources thing here at the bottom um there are a number of links I'm putting through one of them and this is where I get to promote the IO toolkit this is my my baby um join us in the community there's a lot going on there a lot of resources um we've got digital tools as well that you can use um to download templates that I've built myself that I've used in departments um because they wouldn't pay for any software so I built my own um we've also got coming up a chat GPT and AI training session which I love it's been so popular we're having loads of fun I love seeing jaw dropping moments and people learning what they can do and what they can't do and um I can assure you that it's not coming for your job it can be your uh, little virtual intern um i've actually got quite a nice relationship with my chat gpt bot um listens to me more than other people in my life anyway um and finally uh, frontline communicator is my book that i wrote the book what i wrote um i've got another one coming out on community engagement um and i'm supposed to get that done by the end of next week so um i'm very excited about that so lots of links there um now i'm going to ask um judy victoria and amy to put their linkedin if they want to <laughs> i should have checked that first um in the chat if, if they can just so that you can connect with them um i mean obviously you've got wealth a wealth of uh, knowledge and experience here and they're all great fun as well so i think that's really key um i am gonna you've got one minute each i'm gonna start with judy what's your one thing that you just key takeaway something great something amazing something that PIO should look at Words of wisdom. Uh, probably something that that you should have just mentioned so this works out really well uh Christine was one of the esteemed colleagues that worked on the Department of Justice uh, community oriented policing uh guide that we created and it's called executive or, um, strategic communication for law enforcement executives it is a free download from the Department of Justice and it'll tell it helps you with templates and examples and background on writing a communications plan, writing a crisis communications plan, a tactical communications plan, and interview templates. So please, the preparedness is extraordinarily important, as, as my colleagues were saying here. And, and, and I already mentioned it, fight for that position in the C-suite. You are important. Stop thinking of yourself as a PIO. Start thinking of yourself as, as a, you know, a strategic communications advisor or executive counsel. And once you start doing that, you know, you might have a little imposter syndrome at first, but continue to learn and learn about your organization. That's the one thing I'm hearing from a lot of leaders right now. My PIO comes in, but they really don't know our organization. Please, 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 if you are going to represent them, and don't forget, not about you. It's about us shining our light on our agencies, not shining light on ourselves. Thank you, Judy. I've put that link in the um, resources, actually, to the PIO guide, uh, leadership guide. Um, that was great fun doing that with you, and I'm, I'm glad to be a small part of that. Thank you for mentioning it. Um, Victoria, words of wisdom, please. Words of wisdom. First time anyone's asked me for one of those. Uh, so I would say my final kind of parting thought would be understand your audience. Know who you're talking to. Know who you want to talk to. Uh, as it goes, you know, we try to communicate to everyone. We communicate to no one. Uh, everyone's different and uh, understanding the 
the wants and needs and, and limitations and challenges and barriers that people have is, is only going to help you. Um, and sometimes you got to think a little bit outside the box like that. You know, you can't assume that the population is one homogenous mass because uh, the people don't work that way. We are all individuals with our own thoughts and feelings and concerns um, and kind of related to that. And I have absolutely no skin in this game, by the way, just um, I want to recommend a book and that is um, Invisible Women by Caroline Criado Perez. Uh, who is a British writer, and it's about data bias and um, how data bias uh, affects women, particularly in that uh, men are the default uh, for most, uh, thank you very much, um, for most programs. Uh, so it, it's a really fascinating read and it really helped me inform my campaigns and just think a little bit more critically about the information that I am presented with sometimes. So I would highly recommend that book. I think I've bought it for like 12 different people just to kind of been handing it out like a little library. So uh, yeah, that's my recommendation. Thank you, Christine, Thank you. as well. Thank you, Victor. I'll put that in the community under our um, uh, uh, recommended reads. Um, Amy, words of wisdom in a nutshell of which is impossible to do, but please. One of the main things I think that's so important is keeping great relations with the media outlets. I can't emphasize it enough. Um, I've, I've been in this business for 24 years and I've seen a lot of public information officers struggle. Um, they've let their emotions get to them uh, and it shows, especially with uh, the local media outlets. I created something here in Chattanooga that has been very, very helpful and it's called the uh, media directory uh, and it consists of all the PIOs here in Hamilton County and in the city. And also what they are allowed to report on, their phone numbers, their emails. And I update it usually once a year, but if we have something where we have a lot of PIOs that leave their agency, I update it and I send them new ones. And then if we have new people that are in the media outlets that are arriving and they start you know, sending you stuff that has nothing to do with you. I'll say, I'm sorry, I'm not the person, but here, let me give you a PIO directory. This will be very helpful. And I mean to tell you, it has been the best. And when they say, thank you so much, you know, you want, you want the media to like you because top priority, when you have good news that you want to publicize, by God, they're going to be there for you. And that's because all they're wanting is all the bad news. And when it comes to good news, good news doesn't sell. It's sensationalism that sells. So when you have good news out of boys, somebody delivering a baby on the side of the road or you know, saving a child from drowning in a, in a car, you wanna be able to have that so that you can you know, send it to the media and without hesitation, they publicize it. I, I appreciate that. I love a bit of uh, professional triage there. Um, making sure everyone does the job. Um, I want to thank you both. Um, unfortunately, Victoria had to head off to another uh, governmental uh, crisis of sorts. Um, but Judy, Amy, thank you so much. And thank you to everyone. Um, it's been great. Um, if you're ever in Tennessee, I'm sure these lovely ladies will um, host you. And also if you're in Austin, Texas, myself and <laughs> Victoria will be uh, happy to hang out with you uh, as long as it's not too hot. Um, thanks again. And uh, don't forget, join PIO Toolkit uh, community. It's free to join. I'd love to have you there. So we'll see you next month for another comm surgery. Thank you. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks so much. <laughs>